our Sunday School lesson for this Sunday, which is also the last Sunday School lesson in this series, in our Old Testament series that we're doing this year, is one of the shortest lessons that we have. It's only six verses long, and yet it's such a beautiful account to end with. It's such a powerful, important, and beautiful story of God's mercy and grace, even in the face of man's sin. The main point, the law and the gospel of our Sunday school lesson, God's wrath came upon the people of Israel because of their sin, but his mercy came through a bronze serpent on a cross. So also God's wrath has come upon this world because of our sin, but his mercy and forgiveness comes to us through Jesus who hung on a cross for our sins. We have the account there of the bronze serpent. It's from Numbers chapter 21 verses 4 to 9. Because it's so short, I'm just going to read through it and then I'll come back and talk about different aspects of this account. Numbers chapter 21 verses 4 to 9. Then they, that's the people of Israelite, the people of Israel, of course, then they journeyed from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. And the soul of the people became very discouraged along the way. And they spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and our soul loathes this worthless bread. So the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and many of the people of Israel died. Therefore the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people. Then the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole, and it shall be that everyone who is bitten, when he looks at it, he shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and put it on a pole, and so it was. If a serpent had bitten anyone, when he looked at the bronze serpent, he lived. You could, if you wanted to, begin by asking the kids a couple of points that we're going to come back to in a second. So, for example, have they ever gotten impatient when driving long distances in the car? And, of course, what kid hasn't? Does that impatient, uh, impatience ever lead them to sin? And, of course, kids who are impatient because they've been sitting in the car for a long time often start arguing, bickering, and complaining. I remember as a kid uh, picking fights with my brothers and sisters just out of pure boredom. Instead of being thankful that they don't have to walk the whole way, right, uh, we get impatient and argumentative. The second question, what happens when they win a game, like, for example, a baseball game or a card game? Oftentimes, winning makes people arrogant, and this arrogance also often leads people into sin, how they treat one another, how they talk to one another. And third, what happens when mom or dad tells us to do something we don't want to do? We often get angry. Maybe we even pout and throw things. All three of these things are true about the Israelites in our text. They had recently won a great battle, and because of their winning that great battle, they had become arrogant. Instead of giving the glory to God, who indeed was the one who won the battle for them, they thought they were so great themselves, and they let it go to their head. Secondly, they were going home to the promised land, quote-unquote, through the land of Edom. But the people of Edom would not let them pass through. Therefore, the Israelites had to go all the way around. The Israelites, in their arrogance, wanted to fight the people of Edom, but God told them no, because the people of Edom were descended from Esau, Jacob's brother. Therefore, they were related to them, and God said they should not fight them. 
But in their arrogance and their desire not to do what God says, they became impatient. They didn't want to go all the way around. Thus, the people of Israel were impatient, arrogant, and angry at the beginning of our text. Because of this, they, in essence, threw a fit. They were annoyed that they had to go all the way around Edom. They were arrogant because they had just won a battle and they didn't like what God had told them to do. They threw a fit. They complained about God. They complained about the food that he had provided for them. And they demanded that God let them do what they wanted. You could further ask the kids, what happens if you're in the car and you're arrogant and angry and you throw a fit? Well, the answer is your parents are usually going to punish you. A lot of times, of course, parents might say, I'm going to turn this car around. One time, my dad actually did that. Uh, we were more than halfway to Eau Claire, and us kids were just really misbehaving, and so dad did do what he had been <laughs> promising or warning us he would do and turn the car around and took us back. Parents don't usually actually go quite that far, but very often you will get punished. And that's exactly what happened to the people of Israel in our text. Because they wouldn't listen to God, uh, because they were sinning, God punished them. God knew that the people of Israel needed to learn. The punishment wasn't just to make them suffer. The punishment was there so that they would learn their lesson, repent of their sins, and return to God in humility. The punishment that God sent was that he sent serpents among them. The Bible calls it fiery serpents. It could be simply that they were red in color. Uh, it doesn't. It's not suggesting that the serpents actually breathed fire or there was something fiery about them. But it probably just means that they, they kind of had a reddish color to them. They kind of looked uh, the color of fire. These serpents were native to the wilderness. They'd been there the whole time. But God and his love and his protection were keeping them back from the people of Israel. But when the people of Israel complained about God... God withdrew his protection and the serpents came among them and started to bite and many of them died. At this point, Moses intercedes. The people quickly realized that, that they had sinned and that they repented of that sin, but they also realized they had no right to expect any mercy from God. They're not even worthy to enter into his presence. They needed someone to intercede on their behalf. They asked Moses to do this and Moses does it for them. Moses talks to God in their place. What about us? Who do we have that will intercede for us the way that Moses interceded for the Israelites? Who do we have that will intercede for us when we sin? Well, the answer, of course, is Jesus. Paul tells us in 1 Timothy 2.5, There is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus. Just as Moses interceded for the people of Israel when they recognized their sin, so Jesus intercedes for us before the Father, so that instead of being punished and being sent to hell, we are saved by his blood. God, after Moses intercedes, God does have mercy on the people, but he does not remove the serpents. Instead, he provides a way for them, the people of Israel, to escape the punishment if they trust him, if they believe him. Very often in this life, we have to live with the results of our sins. God has forgiven us. He has washed us through the blood of his Jesus Christ. Nevertheless, some sins have earthly consequences. And sometimes even when we're forgiven, the consequences remain. 
Nevertheless, if we put our faith in God and repent of our sins and look to him for help, he does promise to give us the strength and the help we need to make it through even the consequences of our sin. He promises to be there for us, even to bear us up in his own wings, uh, even though the difficulty might be of our something of our own doing or the result of our own sin. This is certainly what he does for the Israelites. God provides them with a bronze serpent. He calls it first a fiery serpent because it probably looked like the very serpents that were biting them. It was probably red in color, but it was made out of bronze and put up on a pole. Instead of removing the snakes, God has Moses set up this bronze serpent. If anyone looked at it, they would be healed. Looking at that serpent was a reminder of their sin. The serpents were the consequence of their sin, and that serpent looked like the same serpents that were biting them. Looking at the, at the serpent was a reminder of their sin. It was not only a reminder of their sin, but it was also an act of faith in God. If you were bit by a serpent, your first reaction for us would be to rush to the hospital. Don't go and stare at a bronze serpent of a snake. How is that going to help you? Well, of course, from a, in a natural perspective, it's not going to help you. But because God had promised that it would, those who trusted God's promise were saved by looking at the serpent. It's not the serpent that saved them, of course, but it's God's power working through that serpent and calling them to repentance and to faith. Every time any one of the Israelites was bitten and looked at that bronze serpent, it was an act of repentance and an act of faith. In this way, the people were, were forced to repent of their sins on a regular basis, every time that they were bitten. We also ought to live a life of daily repentance, constantly looking to Christ as a, a reminder of our sin. He bears our sin. He's the Lamb of God who bears the sin of the world, right? And as God's promise of forgiveness. We do this every Sunday in church. A lot of times people say, well, uh, going to church doesn't help. It doesn't do anything at all. Just like some of the Israelites might have been tempted to say, well, looking at a brown serpent doesn't help. That's not going to help save me from a serpent bite. But God's promises are closely tied to his word and to his sacraments. We start our services with a reminder of our sin and a reminder of God's grace and forgiveness. Now, of course, the most important aspect of this account is the reminder that that bronze serpent was a picture of our Savior, Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us in John 3, 14 to 15, that that serpent, that bronze serpent, was a type that is a symbol of Christ. Just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, in order that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Just as those Israelites who trusted God's word and looked to the bronze serpent were saved from the bite of the fiery serpents, so also all in this world who trust God's promises and look to Jesus raised up on the cross, just as the serpent was raised up, are saved from the consequences of their sin and the death that it ought to bring. The means of grace. This lesson also reminds us that God often works through earthly means. That is, he often works through earthly things that in themselves can do nothing and cannot affect our spiritual life. Nevertheless, because God's promise is tied to them and his power is working through them, therefore they do much and accomplish much with regard to our spirit. The bronze serpent was such a type, was such a means, an earthly 
earthly thing, an earthly means by which God gave his power and his promise. He, God could have healed the bites of the Israelites without them even knowing. He could have simply said, whoever gets beaten, bitten would be healed. But that's not how he chooses to work. Instead, he works through that earthly element, that bronze serpent. And so often he works for us through his power, his miracles, his presence is given to us through earthly means. In the waters of baptism, the waters of baptism can do nothing by themselves. But because God's promise is attached to them, because God promises that through that baptism we will receive the forgiveness of sins, eternal life, joy, and salvation, and inheritance as the sons of God, therefore it accomplishes much. By his power he washes away our sins in that water of baptism. He provides food and clothing through our work and through our parents. He speaks to us through his word, his Bible, and he provides strength, to, strengthening of our faith and the forgiveness of sins also through the bread and the wine of communion. Many, many times God works, many times and in many different ways, God works through earthly means. This is especially true of the two sacraments, the waters of baptism and the bread and the wine of the Lord's Supper. We have such a wonderful picture of Christ and the way in which he works, namely through earthly means in this account. May the Lord bless your Sunday school lesson and grant you the joy of his salvation as you prepare for it.